You're listening to EVH Gear TV, brought to you by Design 39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones, and official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. Now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH Gear artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, welcome to EVH Gear TV for a Tuesday evening. Yes, a Tuesday. It feels a little weird. Even Sandra Lee, who was asking me today, is it Friday already? I said, no, it's not Friday, it's Tuesday. But you know what? Who, who cares what day of the week it is? I'm joined by Great Whites, Mark Kendall. Mark, how are you? How you doing, man? Taco <laughs> Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. There you go. You know what? I haven't had tacos <laughs> in so darn long. Uh, did you have tacos today? I'm going to have them after the show. Okay, good. And I've been seeing you in the kitchen a lot. Some of these social media posts, you're getting the apron on there, you're in the kitchen. And uh, what was the last thing I saw you posting you were making? Do you remember what it was? Uh, which one? You, were, you, were, you posted something recently in the kitchen. You were cooking something and you were learning to cook something. I forget what it was, but I've been following some of the social media posts where you're cooking. And I don't know what it was. Oh, that was, uh, that was pasta from scratch. Oh, right, right. And how did that turn out? Yeah. With some friends of ours, they're kind of showing us the ropes on the uh, poster from scratch vibe. I imagine yeah, it tastes good. Fun. Yeah, it was amazing. They're totally pro, man. Good stuff. Yeah, mine, mine way out like, of their league. <laughs> mine comes from a bag. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. It's cool though. Spaghettios. That's right. It's cool. I'm sure the fans appreciate that too. Seeing another side of you that a lot of people would not expect. So that's nice that you share that. <laughs> Rock and roll, right. man. I was gonna say hi to the folks in the chat real fast, and we're gonna jump back and get right into the uh, great uh, set list that we have tonight. I've uh, got Darren Moore and Buddy jumping in. I was telling you he's coming over my way here tomorrow to say hi. Uh, Les Bellins jumping in. Joseph Burt, Michael Bishop, Mike Ray. Uh, Mighty McLovin, Les Bellin says, love great white. Hey, Mark, he says, and hey, Eric. Um, awesome. This is really cool. Um, Eddie Rocks, 5150. I love Kendall's playing on Once Bitten. Um, also, uh, oh, it says something, Saldano. Mystic Star says, hi, Ivy, Eric, and Mark K. Um, Garden Grove, great white. And Tone Bolt says, hello, good people. Um, I'm going to uh. go I'm gonna go a little reverse. I'm going to do a couple things I'm going to say here. Number one, it, it's amazing, like, with the new record that you've got out there, I know that everything evolves. Uh, studios evolve. We go from tape. We go to digital. We go back to tape. All these kind of things. We got guitar. We got amp simulations. But I find your tone overall has maintained itself. Like your sound, everyone's chasing different tones and everyone's evolving. But yours is sure. still sounds like you when you play. What do you credit a lot of that to? You know, I don't really have an answer for that. It seems like I, I remember I played on a Glenn Hughes record years ago, and I didn't even bring an amp, and they just Kind of, I asked him if this amp over here works. It was a an Ampeg combo. Mm-hmm. Plugged in, put a mic on it, played, and it just sounded like everything else I've ever done. So I, I don't know if there's any uh, special formula. Um, you know, I like a good tube sound. I mean, but, um, you know, there's no magic to it or anything. It seems like I, it sounds similar no matter what I play through. I, I would imagine unless I played through like, I don't know, a pig nose or something that sure. was really distorted or, you know what I mean? So I, I just kind of find it. Um, I get most of what I need from the volume knob on my guitar. Nice. You know, I, I'm a roll-off player, mm-hmm. so I kind of feel that you know as simple and ridiculous as that sounds i i really rely on that a lot instead of um a lot of pedals like i had years ago i had a lot a big bradshaw switching system that 
you know, it, it was uh, kind of keeps you confined to one point of the stage because you tend to have a lot of switching and yeah. So I ended up kind of stripping it down and going more for the amp after a while, having just a select few pedals, maybe chorus, you know, instead of like three SPX 900s, yeah. a, a bunch of compressors. I can't tell if they're not working or not. You yeah. know, it, it just got, I had a load cabinet off the stage that was dry. It just, you know, it, it just became too much to where I had so much going on. I forgot what the amp sounded like after a while. So, um, but yeah, going back to your question, I'm, it just seems like to me, you know, I never stray away from go for some crazy amp with, that has, uh, like I said, uh, maybe tons of distortion. I, I, I don't know. I just try to, go for a warm tone that's you know not too trebly you know not too much bass just and kind of really get a lot from my hands i kind of rely on that a lot you know yeah you're saying just, all the sometimes saying i play things. with my fingers not even use the pick on certain things when i'm it's a breakdown or something to get a different kind of tone mm -hmm. so i would imagine if a guy like Eddie Van Halen played through my gear, it would sound like him probably. It would, it would. <laughs> oh, and vice versa and vice versa. Yeah. Yep. So it's hard to get away from yourself, you that, know, that's right. And that's actually a very, very good thing. And I'll just make a note of every little thing you were saying there, little things that you said, um, you know, playing with your, playing with your fingers, rolling the volume back. Obviously Eddie Van Halen is a guy like that as well too, rides the volume like a throttle in a race car. Um, yeah, and I and I see the evolution too as well. Like you talk about the days back in the day in the eighties and nineties, you know that was the thing. Everyone and some people today still have refrigerator upon refrigerator of rack gear, mm. and you're going through right. so many processors now. Uh, myself, I can't. I I feel naked without certain pedals, but I like the way you broke it down to maybe a chorus pedal, something like that. If if you were yeah. like a desert island kind of thing, you had your Marshall on your guitar or whatever it is, uh, and one pedal. What would be that one pedal that you'd have to take with you? Um. Maybe the tuner. <laughs> That's a good one. But you're not you're, you're, only, you're not tuning for anyone. There's oh, no you one mean there. like an effects kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I I kind of like chorusing. Okay. You know, when it's used nice, it, it's kind of a, especially with clean mm -hmm. sounds, I, I kind of like it. It's kind of pretty. You, you can do a lot with it, you know. Yeah. That's a good one. So for, for me, I like that. delay, but uh, but I mean that's that's you know everyone yeah. has their own choice, right? I have delay. You know, I use it a little bit uh, for certain things. Is there a particular one that you prefer uh, that you use in a pedal form, um, or do you use rack? I've been using a Boss delay. I probably I couldn't even tell you the model right now. A single pedal unit, like a single. Yeah. So one of just, the DD threes. It's or a very or simple Boss setup. It's nothing elaborate. It's no, like they don't I got need to a be. tuner, a wah wah pedal. Uh, chorusing and delay and this um, it's it's not so much a distortion pedal as it is a level pedal it just boosts the level a little bit okay so like I said I'm pretty stripped down I mean there's not much going on between my guitar and amp it's you know that's nice. And so I imagine the front of house guys when you're playing live love that as well too because oh yeah you get some yeah, of these guys like who are just it. like oh <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yeah. 
I love it. Love it. No doubt. Sure. No doubt. Well, one of the things I saw you share the other day on Facebook, which was really cool, and I know this was a big thing for you. I saw you posting about before the show and then after the show as well, too. So you played in your hometown, Huntington Beach, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you played there, and, and not only did uh, was it a kind of a, a bucket list thing for you to go back and hopefully see some of your friends play the hometown and that, but after the show, you heard from the promoter that it was one of the um, best shows that they've they've done there. Tell us a little bit about how that went for you. Yeah. Uh, well, it just turned out great, and Soundcheck really really wasn't uh, didn't go so well. There no was some technical things. So, you, but it's funny enough. Sometimes you have a bad soundcheck, and it's the best show ever. I agree. And it was. I'm not saying it was the best show ever, but it it was just a ton of fun, and just kind of brought me back a little bit. Uh, when I was 15, 16, and 17, I kind of believed that I honed honed most to my playing skills from those years I, I i was just playing i never left my guitar for a second if i went to the store i brought an acoustic with me i mean like a goofy guy you know yeah but i i was just um obsessed you know with the guitar and i used to play at parties i, I would just played all the time and it just seems like i was constantly playing it's very hard to find a singer jammed with a couple singers but mostly it was just we would just play instrumentally but we'd play like trower you know but I, i would always extend the solos for you know forever i mean and you know album lee i would do like i'm going home in fact two guys were down from pennsylvania and saw me play um i'm going home because i played it like kind of note for note but then jammed forever Mm mm-hmm and they wanted to take me back to Pennsylvania, and I was only 16. <laughs> and my, I asked my parents, and my dad's like, this could be his big shot, and all this, you know. And your mom's like, no. Nope. But I wasn't sure because I hadn't heard these guys play. Mm-hmm. So they took me to a motel. The bass player was playing like Flight of the Bumblebee, like every note you can imagine. The drummer was just all over the place. And I knew right then I wasn't going but like a scaredy cat chicken, I, I said, well, I need to go get my stuff because I didn't know if they'd kidnap me. I don't know these guys. They're older <laughs> than me, you know. Yeah. So I went and I, I it, this is, is going to sound really uh, bad, but I, I told my mom when they knock on the door to say I can't go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was terrible. I don't blame you. It was terrible. I don't blame you. It was awful. But I'm glad that you brought that up because that's one of the things where I was, was talking to you uh, either through uh, through Facebook or wherever where I was mentioning it was the fact that when you talked about I'm going home, that's something that was huge with Eddie Van Halen too in the backyard party scene. He was yeah. known, and then obviously you were known for that as well too because not a, not an easy piece to to duplicate or to replicate. And you guys both no. did it and made a name for yourselves. But yeah, you were saying you do that that particular solo sometimes upwards of an hour, and it'd be a real treat to experience that. I'm sure for the guitar fans and the you know the rock and roll partiers back then. Yeah, I well I was pretty. I got into Alvin Lee when I was about 15 after actually seeing um, the Woodstock performance of that song. Hmm. I, it was one of the greatest performances that I've ever seen, and I so I just worked on that so that intro and everything for. I mean, it took me a long time to get it, but I I got it pretty close. I mean, nudging note for note. And I, I just love the way he played. I, it was funny. I, I remember reading an article. It was an interview with him. And he said that he knew six licks. 
put them all into that song. Okay, whatever. They're pretty good, though. I like them. <laughs> so you saw Woodstock. That would be phenom- absolutely phenomenal to be there for that, for that set. I just saw films of it. I, I'm not oh, okay. quite old enough to have been there or, you know, I, I just saw the films okay. and the performances. Soul Sacrifice was another one that just blows me away to this day. Unbelievable performance. Do you find yourself during sound checks, the odd, the odd gig, uh, just kind of noodling with some of those tunes a little bit? Or what? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, all the time. I'm uh, always like, I'll play a little, I'm going home. Nice. Audio launch in or, you know, and do, 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 do. I, I can't believe that bass player survived that performance. If you've seen him, he was just slapping with his finger, just hitting it like this the whole time. And, and that was a pretty long um, version. I think he played about 11 minutes. I'm surprised so that bloody, bloody bases. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, this is something I didn't have on the question, but we kind of we kind of touched base on this just before uh, the call here, or I've been going live. And you said you actually got to experience uh, some of these backyard parties, talking about Eddie Van Halen doing the "I'm Going Home" and things like that. You saw Van Halen long before the world saw Van Halen. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yes, I did. Well, my friend had seen them like two times, and this is before we were old enough to you know have a driver's license. Um, but I had heard that they were playing three blocks from my house, so I had to go. He told me about the guitar player. So um, we walked over there. I paid $1 to get in, and when I, they were already playing when I came in. Uh, the singer, Dave Lee Roth, he was blowing a tube inside of the drummer's floor tom, and he was doing this like kind of wipeout solo, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm going, okay, where's the guitar player? Let's get this going, you know. I think they played, um, if I remember correctly, they played like a Bad Company song, I believe. I think they played uh, ZZ Top. And they played an original, and it was called uh, Put Out the Light. Yes, yes. And uh, I remember that song. And I think they played maybe one other original or two. Um, I believe it was very early stages of David Lee Roth being in the band. Mm-hmm. But he was so cocky and so funny. We just <laughs> cracked up. I loved this guy, you know. He was just so sure of himself. And, you know, so that's what I remember. And I, I also remember Eddie kind of, because I was familiar with all these covers they were doing. And he was kind of a little outside of the realm or the box or whatever, uh, with when we did the solo parts, mm-hmm. I was expecting to hear the you know kind of the solo that's on the record, and he kind of did it a little different. But it was really impressive. I, I was like, "Whoa, this guy's like an alien, man!" I don't know what the, he was playing. A, I remember the guitar was like a Les Paul Jr. I believe, mm-hmm. no wang bar, no finger tapping, but definitely like something you haven't heard before, you know. I only knew one other guitar player that played kind of that way, and that was Jimmy Bates from Stormer. Okay. But I I hadn't heard anybody blow him away, but I was going, man, this guy is in Bates' league for sure, you know, because he played outside the box as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I was super impressed, and I was – and I, then after that, I kept hearing them playing like – Every every night almost it was like they were at a club. They were playing here. They were playing there. So I was super inspired by that. That I go, man. If we have, if we're ever going to have a chance to, you know, get 
get anywhere. We got to play all the time. I just kind of carried that with me for years, and we used to play like free. All the, I mean, we play free more than way more than we got paid. Right. Just so we could play. Yep. The experience you know? and the exposure for sure. Yeah. Now, were you were you the backyard party guys too until you got the club gigs, or did you? Oh yeah. yeah. God, played a zillion backyard parties. Um, we used to play in our own backyard. Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I play. I bought a house with my bass player and drummer. Uh, my mom kind of made that happen. She was a real estate agent, and uh, perfect. We 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 had a few parties, and they would get busted so quick. I mean, four songs, you're doing great, you yeah. know. So it, it it was horrible. We we talked to all the neighbors. Everybody said cool. So I'm not sure sure who called but there's always the one neighbor there's always one somewhere two blocks away or something yeah van halen though they really um they kind of started playing way bigger parties where there'd be like 1500 2000 yeah. people and stuff and started to charge two dollars it was wow. like whoa big money these guys are charging two dollars yeah. yeah that's like insane you know but yeah i watched them grow i watched them get better i watched them um get super tight and you know went to a lot of their shows um they were they used to open for big bands that came through town it was always van halen that played with you know ufo or santana i just remember they every time a band would come through they would be the opening act just autopilot you mm -hmm. know so i i was thrilled when they got their deal you know so I probably a lot of bands too that weren't so thrilled either because you had other bands that are you know paying their dues and cutting their you know uh, you know cutting their chops and stuff like that and also oh Van Halen's got the opening slot again Van Halen's got the opening yeah. slot again you know but I mean they they earned it and it's really cool like just like you guys did whether you're paying playing for the dollar or paying for two dollars or whatever it is per head. The fact is you're establishing a fan base. Uh, you both yeah. did that. And what I think is really yes. cool and goes to my next question is you've also been noted in some recent interviews saying that, you know, the great white fans are, are you know, everyone everyone obviously uh, praises their fans. But your fans have been extremely loyal from day one till today. And they don't really jump ship like some bands do. Uh, they don't. What, what do you say about those fans and, and how important has it been to, uh, to you and the band over the years? You know, I... I, we've just always treated our fans like the best we possibly could. Like we never leave until all the pictures are taken, everything's signed. You know, we don't go running out of buildings like the Beatles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we, we just, we've always uh, been grateful for the fans. And I don't know if they, rec if they recognize that. They just like the music a lot or what, what's going on. But, um, they always seem to be standing in front of the stage ready to go, you know. So, yeah, I I just I, I just think that's loyal, you mm -hmm. know, that, that they're here all these years later. And even bringing their kids and stuff, you know. Generations. I mean, we've seen some generation stuff. And it's not like with our parents, because our parents, we really couldn't relate because it was so far removed from rock, you I know. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, you know, it was Frank Sinatra or whatever. Not that they're not all great. Awesome. It's just we, there was alien to us, you yeah. know, to where our stuff, at least it rocked, even though the kids, their kids might be into, you know, way heavier stuff mm -hmm. or whatever. At least, you know, I've had my son bring friends to our shows and 
they're coming to get your dad shreds, bro. You know, <laughs> that's and awesome. Stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, it, but they're like three generations away from us. So I always, I always love that, you know? Yeah. If we separate ourselves from our parents, because uh, we're, we're close in age, uh, and yeah. you know, our, you mentioned Sinatra, things like that too. My parents, same thing, like the Les Paul, Sinatra, you know, uh, uh, yeah. you know, Bing Crosby, all that kind of. I could not, if I was old enough, I would never have attended a Bing Crosby concert. But let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you know, growing up, we like Kiss, we like Led Zeppelin, we like Van Halen, things like that. Our kids can still participate, and you know, not Led Zeppelin necessarily, but some of these bands. We can bring our kids to these shows, and it sure. is it is a nice thing to see those generations gap. Sometimes uh, three generations: grandfather, son, and grandson, whatever. Do you see some of the um, some of the? Do you see some similar faces that the diehards will follow you from city to city? Oh yeah, I mean we become friends with a lot of the fans. Nice. Uh, they, they've gone so often, you know. That's just like automatically we let them wherever they want to go, and you, you know, the the ones that it, I don't know, you know, it just happened. I can't even give you a particular, but you mm-hmm. know, when somebody, I remember one guy they called him Crazy Mark. He was in the front row for like every show of an entire tour, and he had not one credential to his name. I don't know. I don't know what his rap was, what his deal was, but somehow I got into these concerts. And Jackie used to hold the mic up to him, let him sing. You know, he sang pretty good, almost like a Dio type voice. Okay, you right know? On. And He would let him sing choruses and stuff. So he, he was that. always kind of a guy that that uh, that ended up being a friend. And you know, but there's a lot of those. Uh, just that's why I kind of like the Monsters Rock cruises because. We're not behind, you know, we're not backstage and we just show up on the stage. No. It was like we're mingling. We're doing everything we don't normally do on a cruise and meeting and hearing stories and meeting all these fans. There are like 4,000 people on these cruises. Mm-hmm. So th- I really enjoy that because, you know, it gives us a chance. To, you know, I, did, I was doing things on that cruise I would never do in a normal situation like out watching bands with the crowd and nice. you know, nice. stuff like that. You know, you, you don't do normally, you wouldn't do that at a show, That's but, right. but it's almost like the gloves are off. The rules are out and we're just going to go mingle with the fans, be fans ourselves, enjoy the music and, and just have fun. That's right. You know, we're all on the boat. We're going to the same place for the same duration. That's right. Let's have some fun. That's actually something yeah. to be really good for fans. I mean, if some fans can only afford to attend maybe one show a year or something like that, and they can afford a cruise, I would think I've never attended one of the Monsters of Rock cruises. I've attended a yeah. Monsters of Rock concert, but not a cruise. But that's a right. place where you can go get some uh, great, uh, great uh, bill, several, several good bands, and then possibly meet sure. them, hang with them, you know, uh, watch yeah. bands with you watching another band would be great. That's a great yeah. experience. It- Everybody seems to be playing well too. That's what I dig. I, I mean, I saw a couple bands. I was actually really blown away by a band called DAD. I don't know if you've heard of them. I have not. But their live show was so good. I, I couldn't even believe it. I, it was just amazing. Nice. And they didn't even play the main stage. Wow. I mean, they're kind of huge in Europe. Like they play for big festivals and stuff like that. They got tons of videos. I, I was super impressed. Oh, fantastic. Well, Gary Hoy was on the show a couple times recently, and he talks about the cruises, too. He does those all the time. Yeah. He just absolutely loves them. And I think for the same reason, too, you get to just, you know, you're just guitar player guy. You're not guitar hero guy. You're guitar player guy, and you get to hang out and obviously meet your fans and things like that, too. But, I really like Gary Hoey. Isn't he something? Um, in fact, we did a, uh, a clinic together in San Diego 
probably 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah, I got a chance to meet him, and then I saw him at NAMM. And, you know, he's real personable, real real down-to-earth, and he plays real good. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm glad you had him on. Yeah. It's cool. Well, the funny thing about him, too, and I, I get this impression from you, too. I mean, we could probably do a se- – you and I could do a separate show and not even speak one uh, word of music and just talk about family and things like that and still have a good show. And that's what it was like with Gary. He was like, oh, yeah, we got to talk about some music yeah. a little bit. And it was still actually fun, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to jump yeah. over the chat real quick, and then we'll come back to an Eddie Van Halen question for you. Uh, okay. So we've got my Poison Ivy. She's running the chat here as well. Les uh, Bellens jumping in. Dan Wilhite says, hi, Eric and Mark. Um, um, Eddie Rocks, 5150 says, ask me if he remembers Mark Norton from Moody's Music. Does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew Mark a long time ago. In fact, um, when I was in New York uh, years ago uh, on tour with Judas Priest, I was at this place called the Limelight, which is really a place where people just party down and they dance, and it's kind of like, almost like, um, you know, just dance music. And and he was screaming, and I thought he said that that he was on Kiss, which is like a radio station. Yeah. But once we got close enough and get through all the people, he goes, no, dude, I'm in Kiss. I'm in the <laughs> I'm band. And I'm going, no Kiss. way. That's insane. And so I went to his apartment the next day and we jammed. And he actually told me once that he was kind of influenced by the energy I put into my show. Because back then I was like the first man on the sun, you know, I was yeah. just everywhere. I just like, you know, go like a crazy man. But, um, but yeah, Mark, when you sat next to Mark um, – he called himself Mark St. John, I believe, mm-hmm. in, in Kiss, but um, Mark Norton is his name. And uh, That's what he mentioned. If you sit next to that guy and play with him and watch him play, man, he knew a lot. I mean, he was real good, real good guitar player. That's wicked. Very, very cool. Yeah, Kiss has a series of guitar players. I mean, uh, Ace Frehley was my first guitar hero. You know, i got to give credit there, and he still is. You know what I mean? Who's that? Ace Frehley. Oh, Ace Frehley, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't know a friend that didn't play air guitar to that guy. And and here's another thing, too. When I heard that um, they were saying that they were just hired guns and this and that, and I'm going, I, I, I just can't buy that. Because I had friends that played air guitar. And I remember when Van Halen got signed on the show, their last show, their last local show, they... Eddie's solo at the very end he played the Ace Freely solo. Oh. You can go online and hear it. Okay. It's that boom dun 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 you know and he goes all the way up the neck. He actually Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's dedication. I mean, you know it's ace, man. Come on, you know? Yeah. He's the man. You know, I saw something tonight on Facebook probably about an hour before I went live. Like, all of us, you know, and, and you've experienced this, you you know, different band members in the band, we all have different singers and bass players, and we go, uh, the longer you go on in music, you trade trade musicians. And it's a shame right. to see Ace Frehley go and Peter Chris go and things like that, but it is what it right. is, and they may come back someday, who knows. But I saw something, and I have I have utmost respect for Tommy Thayer. I, I'm still a little, you know, kind of a little uneasy with the makeup thing, but it is what it is, right? But I saw, right. apparently Ace Frehley did a show recently, and this guy bought a, a t-shirt from one of the scalpers out in front of the venue and it said right. Ace Frehley it actually literally said Ace Frehley on it but it was Tommy Thayer it's clearly as a bell was Tommy Thayer and that's where that's a little little too close to home when it you know I mean imagine Ace seeing that you know it says Ace Frehley and it's clearly well, Tommy Thayer I, I think that kind of tells the story um, here we are 30 years after he, he was let go from the band mm-hmm. and people are still 
pumping their fists in the air going, ace. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So there's a lot to say about that. Yeah. Uh, he did influence a lot of people, and, and it's, I mean, not the most. I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound rude when I say this. But not the most proficient guitar player in the world. However, right. he what he did. He was like. He know what he is. He's like the David Lee Roth. Uh, David Lee Roth is certainly not the world's best vocalist, but you combine right. that little ma- magic bag of tricks that he had. Uh, you know, right. attitude and charisma. Ace Frehley, same the same thing too. The way he would pose with a guitar, the smoke and mirrors and bombs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he did. He pulled it off. Ace melted into. Kiss the way David Lee Roth melted into Eddie's guitar, yeah, and the bass and the drums. It was a, a machine that was perfectly assembled. It, you know, there's just that. Just listen to the first Van Halen album, and you can hear it. it it's like his voice is just glued to the band. I mean, it's it just. It's a feel that you feel when you listen to that, that just like, I mean, I know what you mean. His range isn't like, you know, to the sky or whatever, but, but he put a lot of attitude. When you can't sing high, you need to make people believe you with your voice, you know, and you really have to deliver. And he made himself believable and his lyrics were real strong. Yeah, they are. You know, I I didn't have the pleasure of seeing Van Halen like you did. You know, in the backyard parties, mm-hmm. or even when they were starting the first world tour and things like that. However, I would expect it to be like you know, if my parents would take me to the circus as a kid, you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus, whatever. You got the ringleader over here. Okay, watch over here while we do this, and we bring in the elephants over here. That's what Dave Lee Roth was like. You know, smoke and mirrors yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it, but he did it, and he sold it home. And you know. There's, it's kind of misleading when people say that he's just got this huge ego, and he's—I've talked to him. I've sat and talked to this guy several times, mm-hmm. and he's—he's he's a total gentleman. I mean, he just wants to know what you're up to. He's just going, "How's the band? You know, what have you guys been doing? You know, it's not like dig me, I'm bitching. I'm David Lee Roth. You know, uh, what do you want to know? Because it's all about me. It was never like that. He always wanted to know what I was doing. Yeah. So, you know, maybe when it's showtime, you know, it might be the uh, diamond, diamond Dave, Dave. <laughs> you know, yep. but when you sit and talk to him and he's away from all that, he, he's really, really a good guy. He does not strike me as the type of guy that'd walk into a club. Um, now, sure, he might walk into a club with 12 girls on either side, but he doesn't walk into a club and say, do you know who I am? You know what I mean? He does, He's not like that. Yeah. Well, some people don't have to say that. I know. That's true. I guess when you're walking in with 12 <laughs> girls, you know, then you don't have to say anything. But, yeah. But it's pretty cool, though. And, and the th- thing is, too, like, he doesn't have the range of the Sammy Hagar's and things like that, too. And as a Van Halen fan, I respect all eras of Van Halen. I have my favorites, sure. and obviously that's David Lee Roth. But I mean, it's uh, what what a cool ringleader, man, and a good source of inspiration for all of us. As it obviously, uh, you know, affected you a little bit too, growing up too. Yeah, I mean, I I watched it, and uh, I remember they played Anaheim Stadium when they did the uh, the fake entrance with the with the parachutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually had a record of that show, and some of his raps were so funny. Oh my god. 
he, he was he was a character, man. Yeah, the stories. And, you know, sometimes people would say, okay, that's time for it's a bathroom break, you know, when he's out there uh, doing his little shtick, you know, or ice cream man and stuff like that. It's time to go to the bathroom yeah. or get drinks or whatever the case may be. Um, but a lot of people actually dig that stuff. And, so, and if you actually people actually paid attention and didn't leave, he would always throw some, especially now, you know, he's th- doing throwbacks to back in those party days. Now they're playing the, you know, the world's biggest stages and they want yeah. to make those world's biggest stages the backyard where back in the day when you saw them, they wanted to pretend those backyards were the world's biggest stages. It's kind of funny how it's full circle, I, actually. I can actually tell you this, though. They've always been really, really professional mm-hmm. in the sense that you never saw them mingling. They just appeared on the stage, even when it was difficult. Somehow, all of a sudden, they were on the stage. It's like, and when the show was over, you didn't know where they went. They're gone. It, they didn't jump off the stage and go to the bar and hang out with everybody and, you, you know. They were really kept that mystique, and and I think high end pros do that. They, they, you know, it's not to be rude; it's just to be professional. Mm-hmm. And they they were always that. It created demand then, pro. right? Because if you're there twenty four seven with everyone, uh, there's the, the demand is not there. But uh, you know, right. magic, magic poof, you're there, and uh, that's pretty cool. I like that idea. Yeah. They were very professional in that way. Well, I remember back in the early club days too, where before they had the roadies uh, to keep that mystique as well too. They, you know, they would show yeah. up with like you know uh, overall jeans, whatever, not look, you know, the hair tied back, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then oh, when these guys got roadies, all of a sudden there's a band dressed up in lapels and all kinds of cool stuff. They had roadies ever since I can remember. Um, you know, the Rudy Laren guy, but I, I think he he left quite a, quite a few years ago, but. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of the guys they kept around, and you know they they didn't you know get signed and getting all new pros or whatever. They kept all the same guys, you know. So That's they right. they were loyal in that sense. That's good. Yeah. Well, it's good too when you have guys that are working with you for a long time. I mean, it's consistency. You don't have to retrain a new guitar tech. You the guy knows your sound. He knows where you want your amps. He knows you sure. knows you like you know your instruments too. Yeah, very cool. So jump back to the chat for a quick second. We got Thomas Santiago saying hello, Eric and Mark. Uh, Poison Ivy, everyone in the chat. Uh, guitar Craig uh, Wannabe is jumping in. It says top of the evening, everyone. Uh, we get a lot of really good guitar players in this chat. Uh, Greg is one of them. Jared Frost has huge influence on me and big influence on tone for me since I was a kid. Very, very nice. Uh, Poison Ivy saying, hey, guys, Jared Frost. Hey, Craig, See, scroll down a little bit. Justin Grady says, I agree with Jared Frost. Love Mark's tone. Um, we all do for sure. Um, I just scrolled a little too fast. Bear with me for a quick moment. I'm going to jump over some questions. Um, Jared Frost says, House of Broken Love. Love the blues vibe and tone of that song. Jared and I were just talking on Facebook moments before we went live, and he is mentioning that song. That is great. Uh-huh. Love that well, song. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think part of my influences were were was more of the the melodic kind of players, you know, that play very memorable stuff. Um you know, so I've never been in a note race with anybody, mm-hmm. you know, although I appreciate, you know, the technical side of guitar players that, you know, can really tear it up and they know a lot of theory and, you know, they just do going down that path. Um, I definitely, that's inspir- inspiring to me as well. But um, I've always tried to, I'm trying to find the best melodies I could find. Even when I was a little kid, I just... I didn't even hear bands when I heard music. I just heard the singer. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why, but I was just, that's what I heard. And, and I'd listen to these melodies and it would make me sing with them because I loved it so much. And I think that kind of carried over to my guitar. So 
I, I just remember being 13 and 14 and, and Carlos Santana was like the only guitar player in the world for me, you know? And it, I think it was just the way he played, the way he held notes, the way he, you know, bum, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I, 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 just something about things like that that I just think it, it's just the greatest instead of just some, you know, some flurrying thing, you know. I, I, even my dad used to take me to jazz clubs and, you know, because he claimed that his sax player was like the best in the world, but he had a drug problem. Okay. And he goes, there's just nobody that can blow sax like this Jerry Ricketts guy. His mm-hmm. name was Jerry Ricketts. He used to come over and make hamburgers. <laughs> so I'd, I'd see like, I'd see a sax player and he's just like bleeding out of his eyes and he's just like screaming on the sax. And I go, that guy's got to be close. And he goes, not even close. <laughs> you know? So, but, but one thing that I always drawn to was when they went back to the theme, mm-hmm. you know, you know, whatever. I just dug that. But I also love the solos. Um, so I, I try to, you know, play stuff that people might remember and use the more technical side for dynamics. Sure. Instead of just giving you all this speed and giving myself nowhere to go. I know. Because obviously there's no way I'm going to go faster, right? No. But it's something I just learned over the years because when I was young, when I was 17, you know, whoever played, I remember Mustaine saying that he could play way faster than me. So we were kind of the note contest guys. Okay. But um, but then I I just kind of went back to my roots a little bit and started thinking differently and going, but listen to the solo in Stairway to Heaven. It's like, I can sing the whole thing and it's so awesome. It is. He came up with that solo. He wrote that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's something that to me is very difficult to do, but if, if you can do it and put the right changes under it, um, you, you can make some something that's going to last a long time that people are going to go, man, you know, it might create a couple of air guitar players at some point. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's for sure. Because they, they know what kind of where it's going to go. But I also like, you know, the Paul Gilberts, the, the guys that, that can do both. Joe Satriani. You know, I think when you can do both, when you can really show a lot, but you have that theme thing going on as well, mm-hmm. then those guys are called like aliens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> those are the guys, the upper echelon monsters, you know? Um, but when it's just the shredding or whatever, I'm, I'm impressed by the skill of it, but it doesn't really do a lot for me musically and sometimes emotionally too emotion yeah because the guys i listened to was like carlos santana Mm -hmm. alvin lee you know billy gibbons um trower you you know these guys that didn't squeeze notes because of something that's on paper you know it's just the way they're feeling at any given moment and and there's just something about that that it just made me want to get better. It made me want to feel the music more. And, and I, you know, things are working out okay for me. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, perfect example is as much as every guitar player wants to be remembered as a guitar player, you know, when people go home at the end of the day, a lot of people that come to see see bands play are not musicians. They're just fans of music. They want to tap mm-hmm. their foot. They want to dance and they want to remember the melody. And most chances, I mean, there's not every there's not everyone out there singing a stairway to I mean, stairway to heaven is a rare one. You know, they're not singing our guitar solos, humming it in their heads. They just they just don't. They sing the lyrics. They sing the melody. They hum it. Right. Um, another perfect example is go back. We keep referring back to Van Halen, but look at you know before David Lee Roth. You know, doing covers. You know, Deep Purple and Edgar Winter and things like that. Very you know proficient guitar uh, and technical right. stuff. David Lee Roth comes in the band, and as much as Eddie and Alex uh, hated it, you know, doing some, you know, uh, you know, David Bowie and you know all kinds of things outside the box, where you know they started selling more drinks at the bar. The bar owners had them back more. The crowds were filling in because they could dance. People wanted that kind yeah, of stuff, you know. So yeah, you know, it's they, I, it, it really helped get their name out too. I mean, it, they were the band. I mean, them and Stormer were the two. I would say the two biggest bands. You weren't really sure. You knew one of them was going to go. And I I really feel that Van Halen had the whole whole package. But I I love Stormer, too, because of that guitar player. Man, that guitar player was just something else. And the drummer, he really put on a good show. But, yeah. Is the guitar player still around today? No, he died. He he passed away. He died a couple years ago. I actually got a poster of him. At, at a bir- my birthday party, the drummer uh, Steve Hall mm-hmm. brought it for me for just like a gift. He had a poster made of, of Jimmy Bates. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's a it really, was really sweet. Real keepsake mm-hmm. for sure. He's still a hero of mine. These guys inf- influenced me when I was up and coming, and uh, not even thinking about getting there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But su- super inspired, you know. So that's- you. you I don't forget things like that. That's nice. Yeah, you definitely remember the roots and what got you to where you are. And I think that's one of the things that kind of translates in your music as well, too. And people gravitate onto that. People people yeah. can see transparency very easy. Uh, you know, some of these man-made, you know, bands, and I won't make any references to anybody, but, you know, these, right. uh, you know, the man-made bands, you know, the the boy bands and stuff like that. Sure. There doesn't seem like there's any real dimension to them. And there's no history because they were just made, you know. That's why I, I kind of... Uh, for this reason is why I love Metallica. Okay. Because or, uh, I'm just using that for an example. Mm-hmm. It's because they got better from playing together. Mm-hmm. It did. It didn't start out that way. No. They they just kept practicing. Same with my band, or you know, a lot of bands, uh, any given band. They they might you know first you start out you're playing in the garage your parents parents are telling you to turn it down it's just <laughs> a horrific nightmare and, and all of a sudden you're starting to do better you're starting to sound better you're playing better mm-hmm. it, it's from practicing you know together you get in a room and you're jamming with the boys and you know you get better from doing that the made bands are just they're all good on their own but they're formed you got songwriters giving them the songs and mm-hmm. it's just it's not real you know yeah it's hard it's hard to attach feel to that and you look on the flip side of that too. You know, their first concerts are for fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand people, three hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah, their first festivals. gig. Yeah, you know. Whereas you know, we started out playing for you know twelve, ten, five. You know, our friends, yeah. and girlfriends in the backyard or in the basement or whatever, and then eventually a club. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's different, right? You don't cut your teeth that way. No. Yeah. And and you really do feel like you earned it, even though you might get a few people saying, "Oh, they're an overnight success." You know, 
but we actually grinded it out in the clubs for eight years, you know, and we're like, you know, fighting our hearts out. We're playing for free. We're not eating well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, and then and then you finally get a break, and it's like you're an overnight success. Yeah. No, I don't think so. That's the same with we, any band from that era. For your band, anyone out there, and I, and I, yeah. I know it from reading about a lot of bands. You think it's overnight success because you didn't hear about them because we weren't there in the L.A. strip and things like that, and on the on the yeah. small tours. You guys, the backyards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not an overnight success. I w- you know, I imagine if you were to imagine add up all the man hours that you and your bandmates put in, thousands of man hours before there was ever success. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like I was saying earlier that uh, I was really inspired by how often Van Halen played, mm-hmm. that we tried to play as much as possible to give ourselves a chance to have an opportunity to get lucky, mm-hmm. you know, a, a better chance at least. And it finally happened for us. The right guy was in the crowd, you know, and, you know, everything kind of it seemed to go pretty fast after that, you know, That's because nice. we had a, a great, great manager Al, with Alan Niven, who, mm-hmm. who actually ended up uh, managing Guns N' Roses as well. Okay. But, you know, he he just uh, was a great visionary. He he, uh, he he really helped us a lot, you know, management, uh, and gave us a good race. chance at a career. Got got us as a local band unsigned in heavy rotation on the biggest stations in Los Angeles. So that was like an unheard of at the time. Yeah, we were in shock and didn't know what was going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's tough. So. I know here in Canada, it's a little different with FM radio. We have this thing called CanCon. They have to play so much Canadian content, and even with that, I think I I should know this because I worked in radio. I think it's seventy percent Canadian content. The rest is you know everything else in the world. But even as an unsigned band, even though they're desperate for Canadian content, they can't play. Uh, um, right. you know, unsigned band. So that's, um, unless you have your indie shows and things like that, which is a special segment dedicated to that. So that's very awesome yeah. that you got that without being uh, yeah. assigned to a I think a part of the reason was um, just connections and him knowing this guy and that guy, mm-hmm. some guy in radio, an A&R guy here or there, you know. Because before he came to the U.S., he, he had worked for Virgin for five years. Okay. And then he started this label called Enigma, and so what they were doing is signing bands like Motley Crue, and then they'd sell them off to major labels. Like Motley Crue had gone to Electra one year before we met this guy. Oh wow! And uh, Alan. So um, that was the whole plan. But then his pe- his partners didn't want us. <laughs> so he goes, you know, he wouldn't be denied because he they had signed Berlin just a little bit before. So they his partners wanted to go more in that direction, not so much the rock. And but he he liked us enough to where he wanted to, uh, so he just took us on his own, and gave us a chance at a career. You know, it's pretty sweet. That's good. And you've only, you've, I mean, you're continuing today. And I've, it looks like you guys. Uh, I mean, you're having a great time right now. Um, everyone's enjoying each other's um, t- talents. You get the guys just in watching the videos and stuff like that too. I mean, some of the behind the scenes stuff. I've seen some of the things on YouTube. You guys look like yeah. your buddies, which is great. Oh yeah. Yeah, we get along well, you know. You know, in the old days, you know, arguments and stuff like that were usually stemming from hangovers, and now none of us even smoke cigarettes. Yeah. You know? So, you know, we're we're treating ourselves a little better these days, and uh, it's just all about the enjoyment, the playing the shows, and um, so yeah, everything's going great. 
That's awesome. And actually, that's a question. I'm going to kind of go a little out of order here since you brought that up. Um, how are you managing to stay you know, healthy out there? Because, I mean, now you're starting to tour a lot more again, too, and with the new record out, which is phenomenal. What's, uh, what's it like on the road, and how are you managing to stay healthy out there? You know, I mean, there's usually some food available that, you know, we can still eat salad and, and eat, you know, eat as good as we possibly can. It's mostly the lack of sleep that's difficult when yeah. you're traveling. Yeah. You know, like you've heard it said that, you know, they pay us to travel, but we play for free. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a good reason for that, man. The traveling's way harder than the gig. Yeah. Like, I remember I heard Mike Tyson say, you know, the easiest thing about being a boxer is the fight, the fight itself. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the getting up at four in the morning, running five miles and all that, you know. So it's... For us, getting to the gigs and the lack of sleep is the most difficult part of being in a band. Um, but, you know, we do the best we can. We You become the master of the power nap, so that yes. helps a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You, you got to be able to fall asleep at the drop of a dime, you know. I can, I can have a five-minute power nap, and it feels like an hour. I can really just zone out. It's pretty oh, yeah. good. You got to just really enjoy it. Just get a couple REMs and you have this newfound energy. It's crazy. That's right. That's right. I'll wake up, I'll grab a coffee, and then I'm, uh, I think I'm ready to take on the next challenge at hand. There you go, man. I'm glad. Uh, you you a lot like me yeah. in that regard. But you got to be careful, too, because you, you abuse that. And there's been some days you know, back in the office when I wasn't working from home, I'd have five or six yeah. coffees, and then you're great. And then all of a sudden, the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're ready to pull out a pillow and have a little nap. Yeah. Well, one thing I... When we've had a couple of really hard grinding weeks to where I'm just getting an hour here, an hour there, and then I'll get home and sleep one good night, you know, just all all the way. But you need to catch those hours up. You can't just get them all back in no, one go. No, I found that out the hard, you know, kind of, you know, by experience. But yeah, you know. I I found too. You can you can skip a few meals. Not that I suggest it, but you can skip more meals and you can skip sleep because when you're when you're brain tired, it's not a good thing. No, you need the fuel. You need to be focused when you're playing. Mm-hmm. We do everything we can possibly do to make the show the best it can be. That's good. You know, that's the main thing. So, love it. Does it usually we, works out okay. I'm gonna jump back to the chat for a second and come back. We're gonna talk about first guitars. It's one of the things I want to talk to you about as well too. So Les Bellin saying uh, Mark Kendall rocks. Uh, Bruce is joining us saying Hey Eric and everyone. Uh, let me see here. Uh, well, this is, here's a good one. Okay, so this this is really nice when the fans set it up for me. I love it. It's almost like I'm paying these guys to set up these questions. Mystic Star says Mark, do you still have your shark guitar? And the, my question I had for you, so you can answer two mm-hmm. questions. Uh, you can ask answer his. And what was the first guitar that you ever owned? And do you still own it? Um, actually, I don't. Um, my my dad got me a kind of a Spanish acoustic called the K guitar, mm-hmm, K A Y. Familiar. And that's where I learned how my way around the neck a little bit, and learned some chords um, from neighbors who've been playing a while and stuff like that. Took one lesson from the surf band guitar player, and um, then I. He was teaching me stuff that I, I didn't want to know about, really. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you're supposed to, but I, I just I was too impatient to do the Tom Dooley and the, these yeah. little jingles and all that. I wanted to play Gloria, Wipeout, Pipeline, all that kind of stuff that I was hearing. And you could show your friends, you know, the Stones or whatever. So um, I was able to pick it up. The first song I learned was a Yardbird song called "For Your Love." Oh, right. I actually learned it from a 45 record, so I'm going, 
man, because it seemed like all those songs um, had E, A, D, or C in in them. So it was it was funny. You could just kind of pick it up, and but yeah. Um, it, it, as far as and then my second guitar was an electric K that I got for Christmas. And I actually went and played my fourth grade class with another guitar player. He had really good equipment, like he had a Fender Mustang guitar. He had a Fender Twin Reverb amp. But his his parents put duct tape on the knobs, like on the volume, or not duct tape, but like tape. Like it might have been Scotch tape even, mm-hmm. but to where this is as loud as you can go, oh, wow. type thing. So I had a K amp, and I I could be a little louder than him because my parents didn't, you know, put the handcuffs on me. <laughs> and uh, so we we played together, and we played this the songs I mentioned. It was Pipeline, Gloria, Wipeout, and Secret Agent Man. Yeah, those were the first kind of four songs apart from For Your Love. I didn't have that. We didn't have that together. It was just. Without the vocal, it just wasn't as exciting as those other ones. Yeah. The other songs had like two guitar parts and, you know, so. You know, it's cool. Yeah, I don't have them. Actually, let me get to the end of that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. The the one guitar, I don't even know what happened to it, the acoustic. And the electric, when I was about 14, I sold it to this guy for five bucks. Oh, geez. And I, it, it's terrible, you mm-hmm. know. And now he asked something about the shark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you still have that. Yeah, the asking. shark guitar, the original shark guitar. Um, Dick Clark, the American bandstand fellow, mm-hmm. called our offices and said, "I got to have that shark guitar for my Hard Rock Cafe." And um, so we just said, "Okay." We and we donated, you know, for the fans to see. You mm-hmm. know, they they put them up on the wall and what whatever but recently somebody messaged me and said it, it was on ebay no yeah so we called the corporate and to find out what's going on because you know i would i wouldn't want it back for anything other than placing it somewhere else for people to look at right but for them to sell it, I felt that was kind of, that's not what I gave it up for, no. you know, to sell. I, I gave it for people to look at. Um, and I, I don't know what they sold. It was They sold it for like 20000 but they're saying it was a replica. But the reason I didn't believe that is they had the mounts on the back, the holes for the mount to mount it on, on the, the wall. Rock. Yeah. Who's going to take it to that extreme if you're, you know, doing a, a relic mm-hmm. version of, of the original, there's no way they're going to have holes in the back for the, to hang it on the wall. So they claimed it was in storage and all this stuff, but I, I just don't believe it. It's one of those things where it's you probably can't do anything about it now, but it, which is a shame, though. It, yeah, it's a shame. It, it's, you know, because like I said, I would have just donated it. It didn't really play that good. It was more of a novelty. Yeah. Something for the fans to dig on, you know, Great White, the shark, he's playing one. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you know? I get it, yeah. But yeah. that guy that made that guitar is, he was, he did stuff for movies. He he built uh, George Lynch's Skull and Crossbones uh, okay. guitar. So he was real good at uh, creative. 
but it was a whole person being swallowed by the shark except their leg was sticking out right and that was the neck and they literally had a pair of like bermuda shorts a band-aid on the knee yeah you know uh you know the headstock was a tennis shoe so it was pretty creative it, it was fun it was definitely something that stood out in his day for sure totally I mean everyone had you know Eddie started the stripe guitars we had all the different crazy versions of V's yeah. and you say George George Lynch's guitar so there was a few guys that had something that stood out but that's something you were definitely remember. yeah yeah that's awesome yeah, for sure man but what a sad story though too something to donate something like that and then you end, it ends up on an auction site it's, it's too bad and that's why a lot of artists these days are hesitant some people say oh these guys are jerks they won't give us anything to put in our museums or this or that or a charity and because they've been robbed so many times by you know oh don't uh, don't personalize it. Just you know, blah blah blah, or personalize it even, and they'll just erase this, the personalization off and still sell it on an auction site. It's not fair. Right. Yeah, and it makes it yeah. hard for us fans because we want to get an autograph from our heroes. Yeah, I, I just you know I've been to Hard Rocks and seen all that memorabilia, and I was just I was happy to be a part of all that. That's got to be awesome. And when they sell it, I mean, it had been to Hawaii. A friend of mine saw it in, in uh, Rio. So they move it around so everybody gets to look at all, you know, everything. And, um, you know, when I heard it was on eBay, I just like, oh, my God. That's yeah. so weak. <laughs> you, you know, it's really funny. You're talking about the uh, George Lynch guitar and also talking about um, uh, the hard rock. Uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Craig Rendles, he's working closely with George Lynch right now, making a limited number of the Bones guitars. And they actually took, oh. they took one out of the hard rock cafe. And what was so funny about it, they, they, when they duplicated it, there was a, a piece of tape that was under the Floyd Rose, I guess just for, you know, the shipping or whatever, right? So the bridge isn't, right, you know, right. scratching or anything like that. And eventually the tape had come off. So there is a yellowing mark where it had aged. So when they're duplicating these guitars, now they've even got the yellowing where the tape was. It's so awesome. Uh, uh, I've actually I took a tour of Fender not long ago and and saw these guys making these relics. And this guy actually said he knew me really. He's seen me years ago mm-hmm. and this and that and the other and knew a lot about our career or whatever. But he he was dupl- he duplicated an Ingve uh, Strat. Yeah. And made every mark like perfect, like all this, like cigarette burn, you know, uh, they use keys to kind of ding it up yeah. and they match the dings. I mean, it's really crazy how good they are. It's forensic almost. Yeah, it's very, very, very. You got to love that. Yeah. And some of the tricks I'll do for rusting, you know, and uh, with the wiring and most of the bridge, you know, anything that's got chrome on yeah. it, it looks like it's a totally vintage. You know, I learned something, Eric, uh, in the Fender cap, um, the Fender uh, little tour I did. That all most of the people that wind the pickups are all women. I know, I know. Yeah, because they can sew and they're real good at you know the small areas mm-hmm. of the winding. And there's actually a legend there. Her name was Adele, who did like Clapton's pickups, uh, Keith Richards. You know, the Stones took her to a gig. They actually picked her up in limo. Yeah, and you know she was so so. She's uh, responsible for the sound, really. I mean, you, I mean, friendly what, and yeah, and she wound their pickups, man. Yeah, I couldn't do it. It's pretty cool. If style. I wound my own pickup, it would be screaming like a bugger, <laughs> man. That's, yeah, a lot of trial and error with that. I had a guy do it for me before, but. Speaking, of, I, I want to do this just because it's appropriate right now, too. I should give a shout out to uh, one of my new sponsors of the show, uh, Mike's Music, Mike Palermo. He's up in Thorold, Ontario. And he's, when it comes to relicking, he does some amazing work. And through his brand, you should check him out later on, too. Palermo Guitars. He's built guitars for uh, uh, for Joe Perry, for uh, Johnny Depp. He's built him a really nice one for Nikki Six. Nikki Six doing a little bit of guitar playing now and doing some recording and stuff like that. Well, obviously, he's always probably played guitar a little bit. 
But uh, the stuff right. he does, and he relics like some old Telecasters and Les Pauls and stuff like that. Custom service, very very cool. Looks like something you would, you know, they're authentic guitars, um, but just totally totally relic. It's uh, totally amazing. If people are into that, Mike's Music Online dot com. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Uh, Pierce Thomas says he has a good question, uh, and uh, a lot of us have a great opinion of this fellow. Uh, what do you think about? Uh, well, he's asking, what do you guys think? I, I'm sure he knows my opinion. What do you think of Jason Becker? Jason Becker, um, great, great guitar player. I know he's making records. I know about his illness and, mm-hmm. and all that. I just think, you know, it just shows you that, I mean, this is, he, he's got so much drive in him mm-hmm. to still make music. He figured out a way, and he's writing all that stuff. Yes. I, I just think it's wonderful. I, You know, um you know, it, it almost reminds me of the Def Leppard drummer, man. Yeah. He loses an arm and he figures so it what? out, you know, because he loves music so much he'll do anything to produce, you know. And, yeah, God bless him. That's awesome. I had Dan Alvarez as producer on um, just about a, a month back, and we had a lot of discussion, obviously, about Jason. And just, you know, the mm-hmm. way he were at one time, you know, he would physically be able to, you know, um, you know, either by mouse click or sometimes, you know, different different things he had long before his dad invented the eye reading chart type thing. But um, right. it's come such a long, long way. And he's going to have a new record probably within the next year, and, and it's going to have a lot of guests on it. Some of these guys we talked about, the Satrianis, the Steve Vise, these guys yeah. are all going to be contributing. I think it's going to be... Um, That's awesome. A yeah. blessing, and it that is that shows that that everybody cares and they and they really just love him. It, it does, and it's it, it take away his guitar playing. Just the fact that you know, and and uh, Rick Allen, it's Rick Allen, right? The drummer, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It goes sure. to show you people like that. I mean, we, we need to look at people like that for sources of inspiration. Their musical talent is just uh, icing on the cake. But what they do for us, and I want to say maybe more so for kids growing up, you know, but yeah. but us as adults too, um, you know, just when you think you're sure. having a bad day, um, you reflect yeah. on that and it's like, okay, the world, uh, the world can be a good place if we all kind of have that mindset a little bit. I'm such a grateful person this today mm-hmm. um, for everything. And, you know, I, I wasn't so much like that when I was a younger man, you know, but I, I, I've grown to be more appreciative of, you know, stuff like breathing. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're so, alive. Any day um, that you're alive is a good yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let me see. Timothy Pierce says, uh, hello, Eric Poison, and I am Mark Kendall. I'm happy to see, uh, see you, man. I uh, really love your playing. He's referring to you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks uh, so much. Let me see here if I miss anything else here, too. Um, oh, Neil Bradbury says, I used to have Mark's promo poster for Crate hanging on the bedroom wall when I was a kid. Yeah, remember how big Crate was in, in that day? You were probably oh, yeah. a Crate endorser, obviously. Yeah, yeah. We we endorsed Crate. We did a few uh, ads for them. Um, I remember one we were, like, sailing on a sea, and, like, yeah. M- Michael Lardy had this, like, uh, telescope, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty uh, little nice little ad thing they did for that. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. And it, it was funny too because Crate was, you know, they were frowned upon at one time, and then guys like you come along and were endorsing. It goes to show you how endorsements really help a brand because yeah. you know you, once you put your your name on there, oh, okay, well, Mark's got that. I want to get that. I want to get the two twelve, or I want to get this, whatever. And then fast forward many years sure. down the road, Sammy Hagar is using them, and some people like that. And it does help for sure. Yeah, I I remember Japanese guys would come over and and uh, they take picture of my gear pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And I go, do you want me to like hold the guitar or something? You know, like I'm thinking like, you know, I'm so great. And you, you're yep. probably going to want a lot of pictures of me. No, only your gear. Yeah. No, no pictures of you. Go away. We don't need you. Now, is that so they could reproduce it? <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. And then, uh, I, I see my, my shark guitar, like in, in young guitar in, in yeah. you know, Bur- burn magazine for sale for like a, a million yen. Or whatever, whatever the you know the money. I wasn't really familiar with the uh, the difference in the money, but I, I know like you know it's tons of yen is equal to whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was pretty funny, and stuff like that didn't really bother me so much. I just figure you know um, it's promotion for the band. You know if they want to, I guess they're going to make profit of it. Yeah, it'd be cool if they throw me something, but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that'd be that'd be hard to swallow the first few times around. Like, oh, here, I want to picture with me. No, please, you're in the way. Yeah, move away from your cabinet. I need a picture of the cabinet. You're in the way. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't need you. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, over in the chat, we've got. Uh, let me see here. Bane Rocks actually is my boy. He's a uh, aspiring guitar player. He was anxious to say hi to you. Says hola, peeps. A uh, U.S. American made oh. guitars is saying hola. Um, let me see here. Uh, Eddie Rocks fifty one fifty says thanks, Eric. Mark gave lessons, and Kendall used to come by the store in Garden Grove. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, I've made an instruction of video before. Mm-hmm. I, I used, to, you know, I was wide open to show show people kind of their way around the neck and and whatnot. And you know, I don't have a lot of time to have a bunch of students, but I, I'm always willing to give a little time when I can. Nice, and it, I think it helps us a little bit too. Because I used to teach as a kid, but don't you find it helps you as a player every once in a while when you're showing somebody some things? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I I also like it when I I see people on the internet like playing our old catalog stuff, you know. Um their interpretation of the way they're playing it. They're getting it real close, but they they do it like the hard way. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> like I would never go here and then way up here, you know. Yeah. Like 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 I do everything like where it's more it's more simplified like they're, they're getting it done, but they're doing it in a more difficult way. Unorthodox. So I like to show people how to uh, do things the right way, mm-hmm. you, you know, and it, it just makes it easier, you know, but you still got to practice a lot, you know. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect thing, and we're lucky too with YouTube and things like that too. But the thing is, I've told a lot of people, even my son, when he's learning things, you know, if you're jumping from the first fret to the twelfth or something like that, chances are, you know, there's something the guitar player has done in between. And some guys will do that; they'll do some crazy, you know, right. you know, theatrics, up Steve Eyes and things like that, Ningves and people like that. But for the most part, you know, it's it is probably simpler somewhere you know within a pattern and you just got to yeah find like out. like like rock me this guy's going into the b section and it's kind of done with a chord it's like a minor chord i'm playing but he's he's doing like a two finger thing mm. and it's not even near where i did it <laughs> you know it still sounds similar but i'm just saying you know things like that yeah yeah it makes total sense well let's but, but it's um you know of course i'm thrilled they're trying oh of course yeah it's an honor to (laughs) go on youtube see all these guys doing your covers that's pretty cool yeah sure yeah and every once in a while too i'm sure there might be the odd one you might forget yourself so you go find the best one of whoever's ever doing it and learn i'll just go on youtube and see a guy playing oh yeah i remember now that's right (laughs) that's right you go back to the ace frilly stories we'll get tommy theater to teach ace frilly how to do the guitar parts you know what i mean 
Sure. That was long before the days of YouTube, so you know what I mean? But that's hilarious. So let's talk about the new record. I mean, that's, that's something I really want to talk about, uh, Full yeah. Circle. Um, you were in Nashville recording that one, and tell us a little bit about, I mean, I've seen some of the behind-the-scenes things too, which was awesome. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, who produced that at the studio you're at and how much fun you had in Nashville recording, maybe what vibe that had on the recording. Uh, well, yeah, the way um, it came about was we had wanted to do a record the year before. We were getting together, writing songs and stuff, The um, Michael Lardy and I. And, you know, because we really wanted to make new music. That's what kind of gives us energy when we when we allow ourselves to be creative and make new music. And it, it, the shows were kind of getting in the way of it. And we went on a Monsters of Rock cruise and I was looking, they give you these schedules on like when you're going to play, who else is playing, what's going on. And I had seen that Michael Wagner was doing a question and answer thing. And I, I wanted to go immediately because I hadn't seen him for so many years. And I, I just wanted to say hi. And I also wanted to, to ask him questions that I knew the answers to just so the audience could hear nice. some of these stories. Yep. You know, he used to do a lot of creative things and always got sound effects by creating it himself, nice. you know, never using effects records or anything like that. And there's a lot of good ones, you know, um, to do with the accept stories he did told us stuff he had done on our record. And, um, cause he did our first EP and first album. Mm. So that turned, I didn't talk to him after that, but I had, he came to our show and said, hi, and then after the show, he disappeared. But then I saw him later and got to speak with him for a while. And after we said goodbye, when I was walking away, he goes, hey, man, why don't we do something again? And it was like it wasn't even a thought of mine. Yeah. But I immediately was excited. I go, really? That would be amazing. I'd be, I'd be totally into it. So we just kept in touch after that. Before we knew it, we rented a house um, out in Nashville 15 minutes from his studio and we made a record with Michael Wagner and I knew it was going to be special. So we hired a, a film company called rock slide entertainment to film the whole two months. I mean, you know, pro yeah. filming, you know, um, you know, with HD cameras, like a lot of gear and they just always had cameras rolling. And so it was just a great experience. You know, he's such a high-end pro. He did most of the bands from our era, you know, the Aussies, the Metallicas, uh, you know, Alice Cooper. I mean, he, when you walk in this guy's studio, there's so many platinum records on the wall. It's just blinding. Um, so he's obviously... I, I've followed his career a little bit. I, You know, I check out... You know, I don't download. I... I you know, support the bands. Nice. I read the liner notes. Nice. I read who produced it, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm always seeing his name all the time. So anyways, um, we just got in there. We weren't really that prepared. We had most of the arrangements and the music, but not quite. And we had hardly any lyrics, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So he was less than thrilled with that. But I, we just said, man, just compromise. We'll, we'll get it done. And um, so he worked with us. And then when we finished, he records one song at a time. Okay. So. Start to finish. We were able to work on lyrics the night before. We had we had scattered lyrics. You mm -hmm. know, we had some ideas. Some choruses were done. Some, you know, a few things. 
But when we knew what we were going to work on the next day, we all got together and it was a real group effort with the lyrics. And um, so, you know, we all jammed together when we were recording the tracks, but we only keep the drums and then our guitars would be on the record on the tape. So the bass player would just play to that and we finished the bass. So now the bass and drums are done. Next morning we'd come in, we know what song in advance. Like I said, we could hand Michael Wagner the lyric sheet. Oh, perfect. He's like, yay, perfect. lyrics. Oh my God. You know, and uh, we do the guitars in the day and the overdubs, maybe some percussion. If they had keyboards, maybe keyboards. And and then the singer would come in the late afternoon, sing it down a few times, you know, and then he would comp the vocals. And then the next day we um, we would we would have a rough mix of that song and and do the same thing again. So it took. We were there about two months. Nice. And you know we're really uh, excited about the outcome, the feedback. The songs turned out real good. He you know he's such a you know, taskmaster, if you will, that, yep. you know, he really um, does a lot of left and right, you know, so it's like, like ear candy. Yes. Like, you know, um, so he's just, um, you know, a high-end pro, and he makes you feel this. Uh, part of the reason I say that is not only because he's such a great engineer, producer, comes with great ideas, but he, the way you feel when you're around him, he makes you feel at ease. Nice. Comfort. It, it makes it easy to play in front of him. Mm -hmm. You're not intimidated because of the his personality lends itself to you feeling comfortable. And I, I just loved it. You know, it, that way I could play my heart out and not you know feel like is this going to be good enough or you know yeah I, I don't know you think after all these years i wouldn't you know be intimidated or whatever but you know i'd like to feel comfortable it was a different environment which i love mm -hmm. because it added it made our you know we were vibrating at a higher frequency because of that it's new we're excited mm -hmm, man of course look at the kitchen man that's badass and you know Look at all this gear this guy's got, man. What is this, a spaceship? I mean, yeah. I've never seen this much outboard gear in my life. And um, so just a great, great experience. The feedback's been amazing, and, uh, you know, we're thrilled with everything. Well, I, I love the record. I, your people were kind enough to send it to me, so I've been listening to that constantly in the car, here, and, and everywhere. Obviously, I like to get in the zone 100% before a show, uh, before I have my guests on, but I love it. But I'm also interested, you talked about this documentary. When when will we be able to see this, and how do we how do we see this? Um, well, what, what we did was included it with the record. Okay. So so if you buy the physical product off our website, yep. officialgreatwhite.com. get that as well. Okay, great. It, you get the DVD of us making the record, and you can really watch the songs grow. I mean, you can, you can tell we don't know what we're doing. I That's mean, awesome. we're writing lyrics in the studio. We're like, you know, there, I think there was only one spat as far as, you know, disagreement. It wasn't that bad. It was... We, we don't argue ever mm -hmm. unless it's over a song. You know, <laughs> I, I'm very passionate about, yeah. you know, if I, if I know I'm right, sometimes I'll, I'll kind of fight, mm -hmm. you know, and until the guy, until I get the answer that I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> but 
it's not to be mean it's just I care so much about the music and we're all that way yeah it's a crime to let one of those pieces go if it's that if it's that important to you that it's you know a disagreement yeah. rises some people sometimes, sometimes people pick a fight and it's really for no merit but if you if you're that set on it it'll probably come through as a better end result on the record it's usually something I've worked on for a long time and and I worked on other parts too that didn't work and and we, we got this one part and you know, you better love it, man, because mm-hmm. I, I I know it's good. Believe me, I you know, but but I'll be the same way. I'll, you know, I might be trying to get my idea in when someone else is, but it's always for the song. Yeah, it's it has nothing. Our egos are so far in the past; it's not even funny. Yep, our egos are checked at the door. <laughs> you know, we we are so about the song. Yeah. It's it's just to make this song the best it can be, and that's the only reason there would be in any kind of a, you know, argument per se. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it was just fun, you know, because when you go to somewhere different to record, it, it, it just you know it eliminates the risk of going through the motions, mm-hmm. you know, or knowing everything that's going to happen before it does. Yeah, you know, like recording one song at a time. I've never done that, Definitely but it makes approach. totally sense to me because, you know, all your focus is on this guitar sound for this song, and you know, you're not going. Well, I'm going to do five rhythm tracks today on five different songs, and and one thing I notice is when that song's finished, all vocals, backgrounds, percussion, every, everything you're going to put on that song's done and you put it aside and go to the next song you automatically want to work on a different guitar sound for it exactly you know what would be the guitar but if you're doing five rhythm tracks i, I in the past i i wouldn't even change my amp or anything i did okay hey, yeah you know play let's this go. part and that part you, you know let's just go man yeah. i'm on a roll i did three in one day and Woo-hoo. you know but but doing it this way i'm sure it's from all the years that he's been doing this he found something that's really makes sense and it really does i i worked i got a different guitar sound for every song you know love it and it, being a nashville certainly doesn't hurt either as a nice uh, inspirational uh, geographical location very much it, it, it we were out in the middle we were on a lake i mean it, it was just beauty everywhere you know ducks and deer mm-hmm. and you know so there wasn't a distraction to be had so it was just it was all music, and our, you know, our focus was in in a good spot, and and everybody was happy. You know, we were, we were just getting along great, and living in one place. You know, I love it. I mean, you know, so it it was a great great experience, and and to work with him again was just it's just so much fun. You know, just now, a lot of fun. Now, did the title of the album have anything to do with that working with him again, or did yeah, it, yeah? There you go. It actually did because um, we we were. We never name a record until it's finished, mm-hmm. and we were going over like the song titles. We were going, you know, getting out in a cheap way. You know, yeah, yeah. Get, let's name it after a song. Yeah, but it, it was it. It just so didn't make any sense. But you know, it doesn't have to totally make sense. But it, we just felt that was just it was just not not going to work. And then Michael Lardy came up and goes, "Well, what about Full Circle?" And I'm going. Oh my God! I liked it right away. I'm going, yep. yeah. He did our first EP. He did our first album, and now we've just we've been around the world like eight times, mm-hmm. and and now we're back with our first producer again. It it, it just it's so 
sensible. You couldn't have call picked a better title. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's perfect. And so then I got hold of this artist that did a record, the artwork for a record we did years ago called uh, Can't Get There From Here, like in 99. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he does all the stuff for like Jaws movie recreation. So he's a real ocean shark dude. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay. Okay, Paul, here it is. His name is Paul McVie. I go, we just did an album with Wagner. The title's full circle. Do something in the ocean and make it look like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I gave him because he's real creative. He's great. Yeah. Know? So he's got a shark going in circles, all these instruments flying everywhere. And then a guy on the back in, in this like little boat, you know, like not knowing what he's going to get into when he gets up the road. That's know? right. So it, it, it turned out great. I love it. I love it for sure. Well, that's perfect. I, I figured that's where the title come from, and I did not know, so I was just curious, so that's awesome. Um, we're about uh, 12 minutes away from the end of the show here, but a couple other questions here. This is a good one here, too. Cold Gen 5150, so we got a Kiss Van Halen fan here. Um, he yeah. says, um, uh, and this is really cool, too, Jakey Lee. Um, I've actually, I'm going to be having Jakey Lee on the show in the fall. He says, uh, Jakey Lee had some nice comments about your playing in the past. What's your take on Jake's playing and influence? And he says, thanks, Mark. Jake, me and Jake were buddies. Uh, you know, uh, I I think he's an absolutely wonderful guitar player, mm-hmm. and he he has the best of both worlds. He he he's re- very melodic, but he has a lot of chops. And you know, the stuff he did in Ozzy was brilliant. Um, he's got a great right hand. Um, maybe not quite as articulate as somebody like Eddie Van Halen, mm-hmm. but I like his attack. I like the way he plays rhythm. Um, he's a very sweet man, guy. Uh, he's he's pretty humble. You know, he doesn't walk around telling everybody how great he is. Right, or right. And uh, he probably hasn't just, you know, quite got the accolades he might deserve. Um, but I, I really like him. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Oh, there, you, there you go. There's your answer on that one. We got uh, the law jumping in. Says, uh, uh, "Is what up to Cutter? Hasn't seen him in a while." Mark Kendall. And this is from JLC. Says Mark Kendall, hands down one of my top three players that inspired me to pick up a guitar. So thank you to Mark on that one. Th- thanks a lot, man. Yeah. I, that you know that means a lot, and you know I'm glad you're digging the music and stuff. Exactly. Uh, Jeremy Carter's asking who your influences were, but Jeremy, if you go back, you might have tuned in a bit late. Uh, Mark addressed that probably about one-third of the way into the program, but uh, check that back after. Uh, let me see here. Oh, so, uh, U.S. American Made Guitarist gave us a thumbs up. appreciate that. And um, David or Rando says, David Rand here says, I agree with Jared Frost. Comments about his melodic playing that was key to every song. I agree uh, totally. And Poison Ivy says, loving these stories. It's great, to hear, it's great hearing the personal stories. It's very, very nice. And uh, Colgin just thanked you as well for your answer on on that question there so fantastic so what's next what's it what's the rest of the summer tour looking like for you guys um well we're going over to europe we're actually uh playing a festival with one of your bands out there that we really didn't run into much in the heyday but uh um lover boy oh fantastic awesome yeah they're they're on the same bill as us the same day so we've actually played with them twice in the past five or six years mm-hmm. and finally got to meet the singer and stuff they came a little bit before us i think it maybe around 1980 i think you're right on that so i remember bit. watching them on mtv just like a fan mm-hmm. just digging their stuff and and uh so it, it that's going to be fun also if i can i know we're running short on time but i wanted to mention that 
uh, this guy, his name's Rick Harrison. Mm-hmm. He he works for RH Custom Guitars, and he had built me a guitar. Um, I think it's almost two years now ago. We had four meetings. We went over the wood, everything known to man that you can go over with someone who builds guitars to make it right. I I just wanted it right, and he he made it perfect. It, it's it's a very musical. You know, um, and the other, uh, you know, you can go to rhcustom.com uh, and just uh, check his stuff out, rhcustomguitars.com. Um, he, he makes one-of-a-kind guitars, and they are so sweet. And also, I wanted to mention TV Jones pickups. I use Powertron pickups. Okay. They're not super high output because I like to get the most note value I can because I can always get more distortion. There's sure. a million pedals out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll give you all the Tony Iomis you want, um, but you, it's hard to make the notes louder. So I use a, a, a little bit lower output pickups than the norm because I don't like distortion coming from my pickup. Right, exactly. I can get it everywhere else. So I like to hear the notes when I'm doing chords when I'm a little more wide open. It's I would like the strings to speak through all that distortion, and not make the distortion louder than the notes. Right. And but a lot of times, if you're using the high gain pickups, at least for me, unless you have a certain rig, maybe you can get around it. But it just seems easier for me to just do it with the pickups. Um, when you get rid of that distortion, then you don't have your sound. You, you you can't get enough. You're not getting enough throat uh, mm-hmm. with the distortion. So, I found that it's better to get it with the pickup, and then when you add the distortion, you still have that note. The note speaking well. Okay. You know. So, any up and comers, at least give it a try. Um, Billy Gibbons is using them. I know that uh, Brian Setzer uses not that brand. Not. He even goes lower output wow. because he's he's like, you know, he's that kind of player, mm-hmm. country picking, you know, twanger um, that has great tone though. Yeah, Brian Sesser can play, believe me. Um, so just want to mention those two yeah companies that treat me really good. Labella Strings, thirty two years, never gone anywhere. Nice during our ups downs, whatever. I still get strings in the mail, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so I, I like to mention these people that that have been like our fans, loyal to me. That's great. And um, you know, a lot of times uh, you'll be with a company, you're selling millions of records, and then you maybe you fall off a little bit, and they you, take off where they where they go, and mm-hmm. they're not answering the phone. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. So, so the ones that stick with me, I wa- I definitely want to you know give them a heartfelt thank you. I agree, I, and and you should. That's awesome. I just want to ask you quickly: it was RH Customs? Is that what it was for the guitar? RH Custom Guitars. His name's Rick Harrison. Okay. He he builds. I mean, this guy. You know, I've always settled. No matter what guitar I've ever owned, mm-hmm. it's always I love everything except this one thing. Yep. You know what I mean? There's this one if thing. I only could be had better. this. So I what? Yeah. So I finally have a guitar that it, it literally does everything I need it to. It sounds great. It's very musical, and it's just the wood. I mean, 
you know, spalt, spalted maple on, on the body, alder on the back, rosewood. Um, you know, uh, I have for the headstock, it's just zebra wood. It's just it's really pretty wood. It just resonates perfect. You can tell when you play it without an amp, it's going to sound good. Exactly. You know, that, you know what I'm talking about, too, because mm-hmm. you're a good, good guitar player. Thank you. you. You can tell when you pick up a guitar if it's going to, you know, speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. after playing a long time, you can. You know, if it doesn't so. sound good on a couch, it's probably not going to sound too good plugged in. <laughs> yeah. that's right Eric you the, re- know. the reason why I asked is I think that's the, the picture I used for the promotional graphic for today and it's also the same guitar that you played in the video right yes yeah yes yeah I'm, you know I kind of latch onto a guitar I, I know people have eight guitars on the road but I you know I, I bring a couple I you know do a couple changes but you know that thing just does everything I need it to and you know I change the sounds uh, um, elsewhere I didn't get to mention the Kemper I know we're getting real low on time that's okay but, well, so I'm going to just ask about an amp so let's talk about that no that's okay we can go longer yeah. if you need to no problem I had not I had not Michael Wagner suggested I try this Kemper which I you know I'm like you I, I plug into the amps the speakers are blazing and I'm just I feel it and you know and all that so but I said I, I'm not opposed to trying it you know mm-hmm. So, so I try it, and it has a feature that we're first of all the guy that invented it. Uh, it, it this is an amp farm. This is literally profiling the real amp, getting all the sound waves perfect, and the, all the cabinets, the sound waves are are, are recreated. Mm-hmm. So that sounds cheesy, right? But you can push the tubes. You you can literally get that real ACDC kind of distortion where it's coming because you crank the amp and the tubes kind of saturate it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you get that super true distortion and and tube sound. And I I played along and I'm going, I can't believe there's not a cabinet out there just blazing right now. And part of the trouble I've ran into over the years with with four by twelve cabinets is it takes forever to make it sound like you hear it. Yes. Like when you're standing five feet away, man, this is the best tone in the world. But the speaker, I mean, the the microphone is on the speaker. You're not down there with your ear up no. in that region. So that's you have to tinker around with mics, and get them all just to get it close because it never goes on the tape. Like one album, I had like 14 combo amps because it was re, it, it sounded the way it did to me coming out of the cabinet better than with all the EQ that's created coming out of a 4x12 cabinet. True. There's a lot of EQ floating around uh, for whatever reason. It's it's just more of a condensed thing with, like I recorded uh, one album, a solo thing I did from a Fender basement head that I have that distorts from turning it up, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get too loud. Yep. And it, it's the sweet, it, it reminds me of like Trace Ombres, that kind of real yeah. tube, that tube, you know, stinky Eddie Van Halen kind of tube yep, thing. Yeah, nasty. And, and that's the only amp that sounds like that, so I never bring it anywhere. But um, 
I was able to get tones like that, uh, you know. So, man, for recording, I guess live, the only thing live, I'm not sure yet. I, I'm afraid to try it. I need cabinets going on stage. I, I'm not I'm not in Steely Dan, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not, everything's direct, and I'm wearing headphones, and, you know, I don't want to move around too much, or, mm-hmm. you know. it's just too safe I need bad sounding wedges yep you know my amp blazing behind me you know so I think you can have cabinets running but I I just have to figure I need some time to if I'm gonna do it live yeah just to to find out what's comfortable and what works yeah yeah but I I was shocked how good it sounded I guess he had the inventor in his studio for a week so they can get the maximum out of this thing with the direct. That's the other thing. You can record direct and then you're listening back to the track and you're going, God, there's just not enough distortion. It's just not happening. I got to play this again. Mm-hmm. No, you don't because it, it recorded your your performance. Mm-hmm. So you can run it back through and add a different amp. Reamp it. Put more distortion. Yeah, you just reamp it. Nice. He actually has a service where bands are recording, you know, they're recording in their bedrooms and maybe their guitar sound ain't so good because they can't turn it up loud enough. Mm-hmm. But they record direct and then he reamps it through all his stuff and Perfect. and sends it back. And man, you know, the bass is ballsy. The guitar sounds the greatest ever, you know. So it's all their performances, but he just uh, just reamps it for them. Well, that's perfect. It's pretty cool. Here's yeah. a, here's a good comment. Probably will be our last comment for the evening. JLC says, uh, "Play fifty on fifties, Mark." And here's a here's a funny um, a funny story that um, Mark and I have shared this story off the air, but I'll share it with the fans yeah. as well too. So somewhere in the, in the house here, Poison Ivy, my better half here, we still have the rider uh, when you guys come through our town. And it was basically the backline requirement. The music star I was working at was um, providing backline for your gig. And, of course, Marshall, 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 all this other kind of stuff. And we need an 810 Ampeg. We need this. We need this. No problem. So we'll bring in the equivalent, whatever we have. And I was the PV5150 player, and I was opening for you guys. And so I brought in uh, the 5150, 212 combo, the 412 and a head, whatever. And Kevin Dugan, who a lot of the Van Halen fans know, Mikey's bass tech. And Mikey's one of your best friends. Um, Kevin Dugan Dugan. met a few times obviously since the Van Halen show so got to know him as Doogie and kind of you know on a name basis and uh, he saw me bringing in the 5150s first of all I said Doogie I waved to him and then he saw the 5150s he says oh no please tell me this is not for for Great White and I said no 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 look at at all the marshals over here you're safe we brought your back line this is mine and then we were obviously laughing over that it was was a good way to break (laughs) the ice yeah yeah Yeah. that was fun yeah that was fun that was fun I, I do remember that gig because you mentioned Doogie because he only worked for us for a couple months but he's a super guy super guy yeah I, I actually played a wedding with uh, uh, Michael Anthony one time uh, that was that was pretty amazing okay that's cool he had this flame acoustic bass and stuff his voice is so insanely good you, you can't imagine how good he sings we were doing harmonies in um he has so much power in the high range. It's it's. I don't think there's too many people that sing background vocals that have the kind of range he has. They could be, sing like a woman, almost like with, with a lot of power in like the highs. Old school, you, you know, from Van Halen. Yeah, there, there's stacks of harmonies that. Oh yeah, that's him, man. That's all him. I mean, he he really sings like 
Uh, unbelievable. Well, what's been said many times on the show, and not, not only just on this show, it's been said anywhere, anywhere who is a Van Halen fan, you know, uh, Michael's voice is one of the instruments, just like Eddie's guitar and Alex's snare and things like that. You know, it's very, very synonymous with Van Halen. You know, it's an instrument. Oh, yeah. No doubt. That was a, a great addition to the band because of that. Because um, I know um, I, I went to this Van Halen book thing. Um, a guy wrote a book on their history. Um, and so they had this band called Van Halen, yep, which yep. is, Good you know, they, they cover them and they, they look kind of like them and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, Derek and they Fuller's had the original player. bass player was there and jammed. Mark Stone. Uh, Mark Stone. Yep. And, uh, you know, got to meet him and stuff. And there was a lot of people from the past, Rudy Laren, a lot, a lot of people from the Van Halen. Uh, nice. The, the past. But the guy really did. I, do you know the guy that wrote the book? I, I can't think of his name. Greg Renoff. Re- yeah, he was uh, on, yeah, on the show here a couple times. Great, super guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm glad you had him on. Yep. He, he really did his homework. Um, he his facts and and you know talked to old roadies and you know really really uh, delved into their history and did a great job did a real good job it's one of the best documentaries on uh, any band out there he's on kind of like an honorary member of the band I would say he's so thorough if you see the uh, van here you might want to tell your listeners which I'm sure you probably have but uh, the documentary on van Halen the early years mm-hmm that's that's pretty sweet. It is, yeah, yes. It really took the history of each guy, where they came from, and everything. So people interested in really going back, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, this documentary we have, it's just, like I said, it comes, if, if you're going to download it, it's on all, our full circle, our new album, it, it's on all the download sites, the mm-hmm. iTunes, and you know all those platforms, you can, you can get the music only. Um, but if you want the documentary too, which... I just, you know, seriously, I thought it'd be fun for the fans. Yeah. And I had seen a Deep Purple one, but it was done 25 years after oh. they recorded Machine Head. Yeah, this is jury. But I saw how cool it was to see a guy push up one fader of a Blackmore part. I'm mm-hmm. just going, oh, my God. He goes, listen to that. It sounds like a machine, the way he's playing there. And, and you know, and the story about recording in this little hotel, this big-ass hotel, but this in the little corridor, very cramped, mm-hmm. you know, them doing this magic in that spot, you know, basically playing live. And um, just, I just thought, how fun would it be for the fans to actually see how we make music, you know? Because, I mean, we're writing this stuff right on camera, you know? No, you did the so, right thing by doing it for sure. The fans that like you, um, that, that have been liking you all the years, will love that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of band documentaries. I love it. So am I. Yeah. So that's great yeah. so you did it for the fans that's I got very the cool. idea because I'm a fan that's why I got the idea I, awesome. I saw how I felt yep you know so Goose people bumps. that like us why wouldn't they like it you know that's right so go go support that I have links actually to all your entities down below in the description as well too so people subscribe on YouTube there's uh, all the social media links as well too so check that record out and I'll have to purchase that too because I've got the record from I got both the live one and your recent one that you, it was sent to me from your team there so I'll go out and purchase that and get the uh, documentary and watch that for sure I can't wait I'm really looking forward what is it maybe like about an hour long or is this, how long is it roughly I think it's about 45 minutes okay nice 45 minutes but you know they interview Wagner. Um, you know, you can see us. We're, we're writing. We can see us recording. Um, you know, just 
in the house that we rented we're working stuff out i mean we're desperate you know yeah <laughs> we're trying I love to get, it. we, we got to finish the songs we're here you know what i mean <laughs> so it's the pressure was on but you, you know for under all the pressure we had we're, we're really happy with with the uh you know the final result and everything well, I'm, I'm really happy for you as well, too. And I think this whole thing with being full circle, I think, is a good feeling for you guys. Um, it's it's really, really nice. I mean, there's still many years in your future to do what you want to do, but it's a nice yeah. to live in the moment for a few minutes right now and just kind of reflect where you've come from, where you are now. Be thankful, obviously. And um, and who, here's, to the, here's to the future, man. Healthy and rock and roll, man. Thank, thank you, uh, Eric. You do a great show. Um, you know, I actually... Um, I, I'm really happy to do this show because you talk about all the stuff. I think you do a great show for the fans. Thank you. Guitar fans, uh, people who play, you know, um, it, it's great that you, you're bringing on artists on here and, you know, being able to share our stories and, and everything. I think it's really good what you're doing. So thanks. Thanks for that. Oh, no problem. The thanks for all mine. I, I appreciate show. that. Thank you. I mean, it was a bucket list for me as well, too, because I got to meet you before and got to play on the stage with you. And so that was nice to just, just to see you in person again, which is great. Love the music. Love what you're doing. And um, you're a big inspiration to a lot of us for many, many reasons, not just guitar playing. So I just want to say that. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate that, buddy. Awesome. So I'm going to turn it over to the little man in a moment. He's going to tell us what his name is, what he's playing. And Mark, I'll say goodbye to you off the air. But I want to uh, thank everyone for tuning in tonight. And I'm back again, actually, this Friday. I've got Pixie Licks uh, on the show on Friday night. So come and check out, some, check out some really good guitar playing and some YouTube goodness. It's going to be a lot of fun, 9 p.m. this coming Friday. Uh, but I'm going to say goodbye to Mark off the air. Everyone go check out that new record and uh, check out the uh, documentary as well. Boys and Ivy says, fans always want to know more. Docs totally rock. Uh, last yeah, thanks to all the fans out there too appreciate it man we love them we love them for sure we do love them Jeff Humphrey says dang the show is awesome I love this getting the skinny straight from one of our heroes there we go that's a perfect way to end the night for sure um, mm-hmm. Timothy Pierce said thank you Rick Poison Ivy and Mark Kendall was truly a treat see you later that's great okay I'm going to turn to the little man he's going to let us know what he's playing and I'm going to say goodbye to you in about two seconds off the year okay Mark okay man thanks so much everyone you rock talk to you real soon Cheers. Hey, EVH Care TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.